Welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast about our gaming group. I'm your host, Tom Donnelly, and I'm joined today, as I always am, at the beginning of a new round by the game pioneer, Jennifer. Jennifer, how you doing? I'm doing great. Me too. Thank you for asking. Me too. We have gotten together and we have gamed in person across a table from one another. What a what a magical <laughs> alchemical moment uh, that we hadn't had for 60 plus weeks. Yeah, and and the whole thing about it is you don't really realize how much you miss it till you get it back. And then it's kind of like, "Oh, okay, so now life is normal." Right. Yeah. Yeah. I got I was getting emotional. I got emotional several times just at the at the excitement of, of gaming with my with my friends again. Um, yeah. Gosh. Yeah. 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 Paul is is a little uh, amped up at all these game nights. and <laughs> It's coming out in very interesting ways. But I think it's his way of dealing with that same sort of. You know, Paul is a robot, so uh, feelings do not come naturally to him. They they, they confuse him and startle him. Uh, uh, yes, yes. I mean, you know, Paul, when he came over to my place to game for the first time, he goes, you know, it feels like I saw you last week. But, you know, oh. what that's really saying is that you're part of my normal life. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is round 12, turn one. And uh, today we're going to be talking 18xx. We are going to be talking about the 2020 release, 1840 Vienna Tramways by Lonnie Orgler. And then Jennifer and I, we're going to, Jennifer and I host a lot of game nights. We host a lot of game events. Uh, So we're going to talk about hosting a game night and all that that entails. Some things that we may have learned, some mistakes that we may have made. And uh, and just go over you know what what it's like and may, maybe learn something. I think I have things I can learn from you, Jennifer, because you've been doing it for so long. Uh, my first experience in the uh, Euro game space was attending one of your game days. Yeah, yeah, we had a great time back in those days. Oh yeah, you know it so, was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Yes, I think. Uh, I think the first one I went to was way up in Upland or something like that. Um, and then um, I think you had it at the uh, Moose Lodge in Burbank at some point. Yeah, that's not me. That's SoCal Games Day. Okay, that was SoCal Games Day. But nonetheless, we... Yeah, you know. right. But, you know, we I could have done it had they not. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah. We are going to get into all of that and more. But first, let's talk game night. Jennifer, what have you been playing in recently? I've been playing Hadrian's Wall, which is everyone's like, wait, Hadrian's Wall is not heavy. There's no interaction. <laughs> hey, listen, Hadrian's Wall is a perfectly acceptable game to play. No, don't let anybody game shame you. <laughs> and we've really been enjoying it, you know. But you know, we're kind of like we kind of like those logical kind of things. Oh yeah. You know, well, you do this and you get that. Now, what should you do with that for to be the most efficient, right? I love. Is, I love a good efficiency what, puzzle. 
Right, right. Which, of course, now the the kitchen table is covered with grab tracks. Right? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yep. And then we played Imperial Spells and Steam, Ooh. which, again, is not heavy. No. No, but it's very interesting, and it's competitive. It's definitely com- com- competitive. And you know we we had a a good time with that. I think I I backed the expansion, um, okay. and then we had courtesy of Game Brain a full day of eighteen twenty two. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, uh, did you did you play with the uh, the new set? Of course, of course, it's quite and gorgeous, we, isn't it? We, we played the whole game. Yeah, not the the scenarios. We played the whole giant thing. Soup to nuts. For I think the first time this year, maybe I I actually won a game. It was amazing. Listen, if you win eighteen (laughs) twenty two, that's like winning ten other games. Right for other people, folks. I don't win games. The people I play with, as Tom can tell you, are so so good at these things. But yeah, eighteen. 22, I came out um, really good. It really worked. You are you are very good at the 18xx games. It, it fits your play style quite well. Yeah, it does. I I really, I, like I said in my vid, video on 1830, I could play them every weekend and not be unhappy. You oh, know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're amazing. Yep. They are amazing. Um, for me... I played uh, I played Tribune again, which was nice. I have a new, the brand new edition of Tribune staring yeah. at me right now. I want to play that. You know, I I I own Tribune, but we we moved on from it, and you guys love it so much. So I'd like to play it with you folks and yeah. see what it is that you really like about that game. Do you have the expansion for it as well? I don't own any of it. I sold it all. Okay, well, the game, the base game is an incomplete game. It's fine, but it's not great. With the the expansion, which is impossible to find, like hundreds and hundreds of dollars if you can even locate a copy, it becomes something absolutely amazing. Now, did the Kickstarter include the expansion? Yes, it's all built into one game. It's all baked baked in. So that's one of the best things about it, but... Listen, we're going to be reviewing that. There's no question about it. Um, for our group, I think Tribune is one of those games that is held in such high esteem by us in comparison to the the gaming pub- public at large who are like, what? I haven't even heard of that game. Yeah, no, but you know the SoCal gamers love it. As well they should. It's, a, it's an amazing game. It really is. Um, we'll be reviewing that very soon. But I will just say that looking over the new board, there's some... Um, you know, Carl Heinz uh, Schmiel put in some little tricks, little changes, and I'm dying to get the new copy out. I, I was playing the the uh, my OG copy, um, which I love to this day, uh, and it's one of those games that I can play, even though it's a relatively involved game. I can bring it to new people that have never played, you know, that have played a couple euros but have never played this this uh, level of game, and they kind of get it pretty quickly after one round. They're like, oh. Yeah, I totally get what what we're doing here. Amazing game. Um, right. Played some Terraforming Mars. Of course, I played 1840, which 
uh, a couple yes. t- uh, more than multiple times. And Fayum. I played Fayum. Thank you for loaning me your copy of Fayum. I will talk Absolutely. about Absolutely. I'll talk My about My games now. are your games. Oh, and vice versa. I will talk about Fayum more in our games in the brain segment. Um let's we had a lot to, to, to talk about today, so let's get right to the news. Good evening, Mr. Listen Off of South American. All the ships and clippers at sea. Let's go to press flight. Ladies and gentlemen, and mostly Maddie. There is a new one-player uh, arena combat game, Hoplomachus Victorum, that is uh, currently going to have, by the time you listen to this, about two or three days left on Kickstarter. They made $665,000 as of this recording on a pledged $50,000 goal. So they have uh, uh, met a lot of stretch goals. Um, it is a, a good-looking game. Listen, this is a chip theory game. If you know chip theory, then you know what you're getting, really. I mean, they, they've cre- kind of created a brand for themselves. Right. Right? That it, mm-hmm. it, they're using chips for movement. You're going to have a uh, a, a hexagonal grid system. And, uh, you know, I, I think what, where they excel is that you can learn the rules of the game quite quickly, uh, but the strategic level of thinking gets very, very high very, very quickly. Uh, <laughs> no, you don't agree. I thought you liked chip theory. I thought you liked. I love chip theory, but I, I wouldn't say their their games are easy to learn. <laughs> okay, all right, all right, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, this one, Hoplomachus Victorum, is a one player only game where you're going to be going up against eight. Uh, champions of the gods, right? You're going to be going up against eight different things. You have uh, four uh, neoprene mats that you're going to be able to flip over, which reveals eight different uh, playing environments. Um, Yeah. Listen, you know what chip theory does. If you like what chip theory does, why are you not backing this? I mean, the only reason would be if you don't play, if you don't play solo. Uh, I don't. You don't play solo. (laughs) Yeah, well... I play computer games solo. There you go. Uh, it's, for me, I wish that this game came out a year ago, right? It, that last year would have been yeah. the perfect time for this. Um, but that said, over the last year, a lot of people have had to solo game. And yes. they might have developed a taste for it. And Hoplomachus right. Victorum could be the right pick for you, right? Right, right. Well, I know for you especially, your your game time is precious. Yeah. And now that you can game with other people, you probably want to use your game time for that, right? Yeah, yeah. Listen, you know, my, my kids are still in uh, still in high school, but only for a little bit longer. So I'm, I'm really feeling like I'm in a place where... I, I got to spend as, uh, you know, as much time as sure. as they want to spend with me. Listen, I'm Right. Like, exactly. What, like five minutes? No. OK. <laughs> um, uh, it's been interesting. I, I, I think in some ways the the pandemic has really helped that. Right. It's brought, oh, good. A, it's brought us all back into one place. And for the most part, we haven't driven each other too crazy. So. I think we've had some. I think we've had some quality time that we might not otherwise have, which is really great. Oh, that's really good. See, you know, Todd would have moved out into the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> well, Todd, Todd is a grown man, so he, you know, I, I, I get it. <laughs> no, but even as a 
teenager. He'd be like, well, mom, I can just cook here and then I can set up this little table in the backyard, right? Right? Hey, man, that's you raised an independent child. That's amazing. I think I think I did too, but if my, uh, if my son can get away with somebody else cooking for him, he's way too happy for that. <laughs> uh, moving on, we have something interesting from Isaac Childress. Isaac Childress, of course, is the designer of Gloomhaven, and uh, he posted something in Kickstarter in the uh, update number 80 for the Frosthaven game that is going to be coming out. It is a really interesting thing. It turns out that he has hired uh, James Mendez Jodes um, to do cultural consultant work on his uh, on his Frosthaven game. He decided to look at his narrative, look at his story, and see how it is being told and if there's any changes that should be made. You know, to to be a more inclusive uh, game designer and. In a nutshell, they, they came up with some problems. They came up with some things that you might want to address. Uh, for instance, something like the word race. You have these creatures that are, they could not be more different. They are not different races. They are different species. They are different genus. They are different, uh, you know, uh, classifications entirely. They are aliens. So why do we describe them as race? And he was talking, and he does, a, it's a wonderful uh, um, post. I highly recommend people check it out because he sort of talks about when you use the word race and you're describing all these people are the same and all of these people are the same and they're radically different from each other, uh, what you end up doing is you end up perpetuating a lie that, that in our reality, uh, race is such a divisive and we are so completely different from each other um which is interesting but Jennifer what did you think of what did you think of the article well i thought okay first of all i thought calling out race in the game was really good really really good because i know our games need to be abstracted you know the game cannot describe you know 1 million different people right sure, sure but but race is too broad of a classification particularly when it's the player that's interacting with what feels like um everyone is of the same way and the same place within this race yes right yeah and you know race comes back to the real world as well right because you know in in biology there is no such thing as race right right so it's a it's a construct so yeah i definitely agree with that i think my there were a couple of concerns that i had first of all i would be um, concerned if all the game designers had to go hire uh, hire and I mean pay a cultural trainer to get their games you know properly designed. I'm uh, Isaac has the money to do that and that's great and I'm very pleased that he's using his money in that way. Sure. But. You know, like our friend Candace is designing a game. Should she have to hire a cultural trainer? I mean, yeah, really. Come on, let's let's be honest. <laughs> you see <laughs> what I'm saying? So, well, let know. me ask you this question: If the if the designers of Alma Mater 
could have paid somebody, you know, a couple hundred bucks to come in and just give their game the once over before giving it their stamp of approval or or not stamp of approval and point out things that might be an issue. Would that have been a good idea in your in your, from yeah, your perspective? Well, for Alma Mater, what was irritating was that Tom Glayman had already, oh, excuse me, Tom um, is a designer of many games, the most famous of which is Race, Race for, for the, the Galaxy. Race for the Galaxy, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Tom told them months before they went to production that the game was too white, but they didn't care. Black lives didn't matter to them. Well, so let me let me ask you a question. Sure. If, if they had paid somebody to come in and tell them that in a way that they could hear. Now, now it seems like in their situation, they heard it. They just discounted it. But right. That right. game, now, that game did know, not succeed very well. Right. That game it, was a was a failure. It has the stench of a problematic game about it. If you could fix that in the design process before you get to the end and avoid those problems uh it seems like that kind of uh, that kind of consulting might just pay off in in droves might be worth its weight in gold in terms of avoiding future problems well i think though you know like for example alma mother was a fairly simple very abstracted game right yeah and Frosthaven, we already know, is going to be a complex game with a lot of interactions between the players, between well, what I would call it, uh, NPC and non-player characters, you know, non-player factions and cultures. And so, at his level, I agree. At Alma Mater, the publisher should have looked at that and said, "This is not going to play well." Yeah with our audience and they shouldn't need to have paid shouldn't need to have paid for someone because again the game is abstracted it's the same thing with maracaibo Mm -hmm. had mr fister and the publisher you know taken five seconds to think about this they wouldn't have published it like that yeah i I agree i i totally agree but especially in a game like i'm sorry go ahead yeah and so what we're asking is, hey, take that five seconds, that five minutes to look at this and say, if I'm a person of African or Caribbean descent, am I going to like this game? And isn't there a way to create this game where a person of African or Caribbean descent would like the game and the game still be the game? I think there is. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Uh, you know, listen, I think to some degree, it's sometimes good to have somebody from outside your bubble come in and tell you what you designed, right? Because right. when you're in your bubble, the definition of a bubble is that you can't really see things that that clearly. And, you're, and you know, Tom Lehman comes and tells you, why is everybody white? And you're like, pish posh, it was, you know, such and such a year in Europe, pish posh. Nobody's going to have a concern about that. No, people did. People, people had quite a, <laughs> quite a concern about that. So, um, you know, I am not uh, arguing for the plague of consultancy to, <laughs> to, des- <laughs> to descend upon the board gaming hobby en masse. But I do think that, that occasionally it's a good thing. And, and listen, our gaming industry is, is facing this issue. And I love right. that. I love that Isaac Childress uh, decided to take this step, which is particularly important in a narrative game, which is what Isaac's game is. It's telling a story, and 
as a storyteller myself, right. I know that there is there is power in that, and there is response mm-hmm. and there is responsibility in that, and right. Plenty of writers do not see the responsibility side of that equation, and I'm really glad that that uh, that Isaac did. I highly recommend people uh, read the article, no matter which yeah. which side of the which side of the fence you're on, whether you're on uh, my side where we should be sensitive to these things, or Jennifer's side, which is no, we don't have to be sensitive at all. Um, that is not my side. <laughs> I just got that. Uh, <laughs> I'm just joking. I I know I. I I very much appreciate you you pointing out that there is there can be a cost to this as, as well, and we need but, to ba- and mean, we need to balance things. Like, oh, the other thing that I laud greatly now, shut up and sit down. You know, huge huge content creators, right? And they looked at Palio and said, "Where are the Africans?" Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, and them calling that out absolutely made the publisher come along and say, oh, uh, well, uh, we had uh, thought about Africans and then we forgot. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. That's, that's, one, uh, that's one way to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Not the choice I might have made, but... <laughs> we're going to have an expansion that's going to include them. Oh, but, you know, uh, Rago has been calling this stuff out for a long time. You know, uh, I have a commitment from man versus meeple to call this out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm very good friends with Ryan Shun, uh, of man versus meeple. And, uh, he is very much a person that, uh, that, that feels that, um, that we, our industry is progressing in the right direction, but we need to move quicker and we need to make, uh, um, better choices moving forward. So I think that's why. And the the reviewers need to call it out. Yes. So that, you know, these publishers will understand that they're going to pay for these decisions, for these forgetful times. I think they already are. They they just seem to still, you know, be be sort of dragging their feet a little bit in some cases. Oh, oh, uh, this is probably news, or maybe it was news last week, but I'm going to mention it, and maybe you were going to mention it. But Delicious Games is coming out with Messina. Did you see that? Uh, no, I didn't. Tell me about it. Well, Messina, and this is unbelievable to me in 2021, but okay. So you are part of the important families in Messina during the Black Death. Okay. <laughs> You're talking about Messina 1347. Yes. Oh, Vladimir Suki. Oh, no. Vladimir. <laughs> What's going on? Dude. Oh, no. I love you. Please let it be okay. Please let it be okay. Oh, no. Uh, you know what? Okay. Let's let's see. I, I don't know uh, enough about this to, to opine at the moment, but we will... Uh, We'll have to look into that and see what's going on there. I, I listen. I don't think, in and of itself, that there is anything wrong with doing a a, a game set in the Black Death or. I don't either. That it's just I don't know. I wouldn't do it, but hey, if that's what they think is going to work, it is the naming of important people. Yeah, that is what irritates me. All people are important, particularly during a plague. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Thank you, Jennifer. That was that was that was uh, that was a good that was a good talk. So check out Isaac Childress's um, 
update number 80 for Frost Haven, if you get a chance. It is uh, quite something, quite interesting. Uh, next up, we have Mosaic. Mosaic is on Kickstarter. It's got about 25 days to go. Uh, if you don't know about Mosaic, it is a new civilization-building game by Glenn Drover. Glenn Drover did Age of Empires 3. He did uh, Sid Meier's Civilization, the board game. He did Railways of the World. Serious designer. Good designer. Not you know, His games are not my favorites, but I have a lot of respect for the games that he has designed. And uh, he's got another Civilization builder. There are some, you know, some good, speaking of my friend Ryan Shoon, Ryan Shoon, Man vs. Meeple said Mosaic is hitting all the right satisfying buttons and uh, is really one of the best civilization games to come out in recent times. So, um, Jennifer, you had some interesting interesting observation about this game, didn't you? Well, Jay, uh, I shouldn't, I'm, I'm sorry, I was going to name the person, I shouldn't do that because I don't have that person's permission, but a person who was active in the alma mater thread, whose activity wasn't moderated, just to be clear, (laughs) is not happy with Mosaic. He is saying, God, I did it again. They are saying there are nine leaders. One could look like a Mongol and one like a Nubian, and there would still be seven white people available for a six player game mm-hmm. yep. and they have a problem with that they ended up going with <laughs> they ended up going with leaders that look kind of white but kind of tan <laughs> i mean i don't know how to describe what these what these leader cards look like um they uh they are ambiguous to to say the least i think right. is, what, is what they are um let's look general pretty white magistrate not sure uh engineer pretty white priestess white artist can't really tell scribe looks egyptian i guess sort of farmer maybe egyptian it, yeah it, it is it's tough to tell and it's almost as though what they decided to do is like oh no do we have a race problem in this game Let's just get rid of race and let's <laughs> let's spend a little bit of culture. time. Culture, get rid of culture. Yeah, and, yeah, and culture. True, exactly. Let us create a, a, a let us create generic people that you can't quite tell what they are or what they're supposed to be. Um, which is, I mean, it's a choice. It's it's <laughs> it is it is one way of skinning that particular cat. I don't I don't know if that's a great way to skin that cat though. That's a it, it, it's. I don't know if. What does that message say? Does it say that race is a problem, so let's get rid of it? I mean, that's that's a weird statement to make. And when you're doing a civilization game in particular, I mean, I listen. I I here's what I understand. I understand if you ha- if you're playing a character and he looks Mongol, and you decide not to invest in horse technology or archery or any of that sort of stuff. Are you really playing a Mongol character? You know, right. <laughs> I, I, I get it. I, I get that part of it. That that he that the, the game is designed so that you can build your empire however you wish, and therefore the cultural specificity of these people versus these people isn't quite going to fit. It's going to be an apples and oranges thing. I, I get that, but. Man, representation is important in these games. So to to try and kind of wipe representation away completely and make it a non-issue, it, it's an odd choice. I'm not sure I love it. 
Right? You know, I think, you know, we go back to the real world concept of race, and now we have this game concept of no race. Well, you know, the concept of race in the real world is, in my opinion, actually, uh, uh, or within that, is a context of culture. And many of the cultures of today go back to those old ancient cultures of then, right? Absolutely. You know, and so that needs to be recognized and painting everybody light brown to pretend like they were, you know, not who they were, but, you know, in those times seems to be a cheap way out. Yeah, I I think I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I totally do. Yeah, so, you know, I don't know. I gave it a dollar pledge. And we'll see where, uh, what happens with this discussion that this person has brought up to them. Because the, the, uh, they are going to keep me in the loop on the discussion. Good. Because the rest of the game looks quite good. I mean, they yeah, have, it does. They have miniatures for uh, for the wonders of the world and, and the cities and towns. And they look quite nice i mean listen i'm not yeah, a, i'm not yeah, a miniature I'm, guy but they look, i'm gonna watch some of the video as yeah. well yeah, yeah. glendrover when glendrover comes out with the civilization game you've piqued my interest i certainly want to check it out and see what you got to say i mean anything to be better than that awful awful advanced civilization that came out all those years ago i'm always looking he for only wished he could <laughs> all right uh, right. For anyone new to the podcast, Jennifer, who I'm speaking with right now, is, was on the design team for Advanced Civilization, the godfather of all Civilization games, in, including the Civilization game you play on your computer. So, uh, yeah, that's just giving a little, a little, little tiny dig there. Um, and that was Mosaic. And uh, and last but not least, uh, fun news for me personally, for sure. Uh, Pipeline is coming out with an expansion called Emerging Markets. Officially, there is no word on what this will entail, um, but I found out a little bit. It seems like the middle action spaces, there's a cross in the middle of the board, and that's where you're placing your 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 piece to choose your main action for the round. Um, I believe in this expansion, those spaces are going to be even more modular, and we're going to have new choices on those four branches in terms of things we can do. I think there will be new upgrade cards, new technology cards uh, that will come into the game, which is interesting. It, it's a uh, Pipeline is a game that has grown on me. Um, right. I think it was my number two or three game of, of 2019. And if I had to go back and do it again today, I think it's my number one game of that year. Wow. I really well, believe it or not, that's one of the games we're gonna play later today after the podcast. Oh, I love Pipeline. Pipeline is one of those games that it, it is growing and every time I play it, I'm like, God, I really love I really, really love this game. So Yeah. And it's not it it's not that well like not that not that it's not well regarded it's very well regarded but it isn't that popular no no and it you know it kind of reminds me of Hansa Teutonica right yeah well the, i guess it's come up it's it's ranked i'm sorry go, yeah Hansa Teutonica yes say why 
Okay, so it's kind of like those games that people who are in the know about yeah. heavy games know about, but everybody else is chasing sight, right? <laughs> yep, yep. Well, it is ranked 428, which is not bad. Right. But for me, it's a top 100 game. No question about it. And yeah, um, I, I think for it to really have the cultural impact that it should have, because it is a very, very good design, I think it should be in the 200s. So for yeah. somebody to have a game in the 400s, you know, relatively new game that's in the 400s, to come out with an expansion for it, um, I think that's a good job by Ryan Courtney, the designer, to to do yeah. that. To do that because he's he's uh, supporting something that he believes in, and is trying to get more eyeballs on it. And I I, I want more eyeballs to be on it. I think Pipeline. Yep, I, and an then Capstone, of course. You know, oh. I like most of their games. Almost. All I of just them. played one of their recent ones, and we can talk about that later. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, we shall see. Um, and last but not least in the news is just that um, a couple weeks ago, Jesse, uh, with with Trey's help, put together a little puzzle. There was a little puzzle on our uh, Game Brain um, webpage. And uh, I want to let you guys know that we have one week remaining in to solve the puzzle. We've had several people that have solved the puzzle. I'm going to leave to Trey to announce their names and to announce who, who solved it first and, and so on and so forth. But if you want to be called out on the podcast, go to uh, GameBrain, uh, to our website, and check it out and see if you can't solve it as well. Uh, feedback has been very good. P- feedback has been, oh, this was a very interesting and, and, and cool puzzle and uh, a tricky solve but not impossible. So uh, check it out. Shall we move on to Games on the Brain? Sure. Done. What's on your brain, Jennifer? What is going on in that head of yours? Uh, Capstone Games. I think it's it is Capstone. Yeah. Coffee Traders. Ah. Interesting. There might be a review of Coffee Traders coming up. Um, I'm trying to talk that person out of it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I heard I heard through the grapevine that you were not a fan of it. No, I am not a fan of it. I'm going to give a really quick example that maybe not everyone will understand. Okay. The, the original 1829, you know, in 1829, you're trying to buy stocks to make companies and you're trying to lay track to run trades, right? Those are the two core things. Well, in 1829, unlike in the other 18xx, um, now, of course, remember this 1829 is first, you could only buy one stock at a time. Mm. They were in a big, tall stack, and so it took forever to actually get going, right? Right. And then when you laid tile, nope, you couldn't just lay the tile, you had to survey it first. Uh, okay, so this is the designer putting in, in my opinion, arbitrary ways to slow the game down. Right, right, Road, roadblocks, as it were. Right, roadblocks, and that's what I think Coffee Trader does, and I did not like it because of that. Oh, well, look, you can do this, but not after you do a bunch of other stuff that didn't feel intuitive, 
that felt like the designers going, oh, oh, they might optimize. Oh, no, they can't do that. So let's put all, you know. <laughs> so let's put all this stuff in front of it. It is, it is interesting that, that games, especially procedure games, which it sounds like Coffee Trader is, right? It's one of the, you do this, which gets you this, which gets you this, which gets you this. Yeah, right, mostly. So, yeah, some of it isn't quite that procedural, but it's, hmm. it is close. I mean, if you look back at Agricola, one of our favorite games of all time. Right. Um, through, one way, through one lens, through one way of looking at it, you could say the same thing about Agricola. It's like, well, I want to I I really, build a house, but I have to get this, and then I have to get this, and then, right. oh, I still don't have this, and then I want to go to the space, but somebody else is on that space. It, the game is putting roadblocks in my way. No, but see, that's not – it's completely different, in mm. my opinion. Mm. In Agricola, I look at my hand, and I assess where I want to go. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. In this game, that's not what happens basically okay and in 1829 it definitely wasn't what happened you went to where the game forced you to <laughs> well that, that, that i think that's that's the point i was trying to get to which is i'm sorry no 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 uh, totally fine nothing no no harm no foul um uh, what i was trying to say is is that games do this all the time True. but there is but there are very different ways of a game doing that in some cases right. It feels like I want to do this and this and this, and I have to time it right and figure out how yeah. to do that. And that's great because I have the agency. Yes. I'm not being told the game says you win the game this way. Okay. And now we're going to stop you from doing, from winning the game in a core way. Right. Like I said, in, in Coffee Trader, you're trying to do this area control thing, right? Yep. But instead of like Agricola, you look at what is presented to you and then making a decision on how you want to proceed, the game basically says, we're going to put you through this narrow path. Right. Yeah. And then, then it feels like the game is telling you no, as opposed to your decisions blocking out certain options for you. On exactly. A given now, I could be wrong, okay? And yeah. I'm sure the upcoming reviewer will probably listen to this and refute me. And that's fine. That's fine. That's why we all love each other, because we all bring something to the table, right? Yeah, take the gloves off, mystery future reviewer. Take them off. I want to hear. I want to get... <laughs> Let's get this fight on. We're going to be talking about exactly. that. Exactly. Interesting. Okay. Now, the other games on my brain are um, Imperium Classics and Legends, because, mm-hmm. as you know, for some strange reason, I love Civ games. Yes. I love Civ games. So um, I have pre ordered both of them. Uh, they're a Civ deck builder. So they aren't too expensive. You know, they were like $27 each. Okay. So, yeah, so, you know, I'm, I'm willing to give it a shot. Yeah. And then the other thing that I really like in games is money, oh. buying and selling. <laughs> and so I have pre-ordered Merchant's Cove. I've heard, I've heard some interesting things about that game. I've heard interesting, some... such as should I be canceling my pre-order? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think so. It's like I, when I look at the art for the game, it, it's a it's a turnoff for some reason. I don't like the way the, the I don't like the look, some things about the look of the game, but I've heard the gameplay is quite good. I, I, I hear it's a very interesting game, so uh, I, I'm looking forward to checking it out. 
Well, uh, it ships June 4th. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Coming up. Yeah. That's great. Um, on my brain is Fame. You were kind enough to loan me your copy of Fame. When of Jennifer loans you a copy of a game, boy, oh boy, do you get a game. Uh, <laughs> Fame is a game that has about 130, 140 distinct cards in it. Each one is different and has a different rule. And there is an entire book that lays out each and every card and what it does. In truth, you can look at the card symbols and after just a few plays, you can kind of understand what everything is. But until then, having that book is a godsend. The game comes with one book. Um, Jennifer <laughs> prints beautiful color copies of that book and then spiral bounds them. <laughs> <laughs> so that everyone has it um my friend uh my friend bond friend of the podcast uh who is is a relative newcomer to our euro game uh, um experience looked at that book and said this game's really good and i had to explain to him that no this is this is just this is just jennifer going off and blinging her copy out uh you also put there are there are crocodiles throughout the game and uh, uh, Bruce uh, put uh, these googly eyes on all of the things, which makes this game so weird. So let me tell you a little something about uh, Fayum. Fayum is the new design by uh, Friedman Frieza. Friedman Frieza is the designer of Power Grid, among other things. He is also the designer of one of our favorite games, Fresh Fish. Um and uh, his name is Friedman Frieza, so FF, all of his games start with the letter F. You say, wait, he designed Power Grid. Yes, Funkenschlag is the German term for power, uh, for power station or power system. So all his games start with F, and he tries to make as many of his English translations also be F. So fearsome floors, fresh fish, and so on and so forth, and and. Um, he is a very funny guy. He is a, a crack up, uh, often has spiky, often green or otherwise colored hair, um, kind of a goofball really when you get down to it and is a very, uh, experimental designer. He did a game a couple years ago called 504, which is a modular game system in which the rule book describes the 504 different games you can play with the same components. Um, as you might expect, um, the quality of those 504 games decreased the more games you had. <laughs> but as an experiment, as an idea, I'm 100% on board. Um, Fearsome Floors, interesting game. Not something I love, but it was it was interesting. But sometimes he hits. Power Grid, hit. Uh, Fresh Fish, huge hit for me. Um, and Fayum is a hit. It is a hit. Uh, Jennifer, you and I talked before the podcast, and I said that uh, there are some games like, um, you know, Babylonia and things like that, where some of these classic designers, you know, uh, Stefan Feld is back, uh, Reiner Knizia is back. They're designing games that are drawing a lot of attention. Um, and these are designers that 20 years ago, when we were playing in, in the hobby, they were the guys because there weren't right. that many people designing these games. Right. But the games that they're designing now still feel like new games. They they feel yes. like they're 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 trafficking in some of the old ways that they had designed them, but they're adding newer newer elements or newer combinations or a certain sophistication. Fayum 
could, if you put fam on a table in 1998 and we played it, we would feel, we would not feel like this is a game from the future. It feels exactly from that period. And it feels like it was the, this feels like the best game of 2001. And if you think I am sliding that game because of that, you are absolutely wrong. (laughs) Those games are amazing. Some of those games are my, are my favorite games to this day. Right. They they had a, they had a cleanness and simplicity of their design that, paid off in droves and i think fame is just crazy good i mean i, I can't get over it uh, yeah no it's we enjoyed it you know um you know um who told i think kansas is when you told me about it maybe not sure that is candace you know, harris, I, harris I, friend I, of the I'm, podcast very fortunate to be blessed with people who have these types of games on their radar. And so then they'll tell me about them, right? Oh, well, you know, this looks really good. And then, you know, I go out and buy the Filbert copy at astronomical prices. <laughs> and there, there it is, right? Well, Fam is available right now at Board Game Geek on the Board Game Geek store, yep. which is interesting. Um, yep. Interesting thing. So uh, it was a three-player, myself, Trey, and my friend Bond, who I uh, already mentioned. Um, Trey had played it before. I knew the rules. Bond came in as a total novice and cleaned our clocks, won the <laughs> game. It, it, has, um, it has a mechanic from, um, from Power Grid that is one of these things that I don't understand why certain mechanics have not, right. been, used, uh, have not been used again, haven't become part of the nomenclature and have just kind of disappeared. In Power Grid, when you're drawing new power plants, which is a major part of the game, you draw a power plant, and each one has a number on it. So it's not like the if you pick the first power plant uh, that's available, everything slides down, and it becomes a neat and orderly, easy-to-predict system. No. The number on the power plant tells you where it goes. So if the power plants that are currently available in Power Grid are power plant number... 12, 15, 30, and 32, and somebody buys the 12, you flip out the next one, and it is 18. It is going to go in the second spot. It is going to jump ahead of some of the others. And because of that, the the system of these cards coming becoming available is dynamic and shifting right. in very, very interesting ways. It right, is, right. It is less Absolutely p- much better than just flipping them over. Right. Abs- even as a draft. Oh, my God. It, it's better. It is, it is <laughs> less predictable, but it is not completely unpredictable. And uh, another thing that is part of the, the design of Power Grid is that you see eight cards, but only the four lowest ones are available to be purchased. So you're seeing – you're having a – uh, sneak peek at things that are going to be coming down the pike in the future. Um, why, oh why, is this not something that is in tons of games? I could name 20 games that have a card drafting, card buying mechanism that could use some, a system like this to really add something to their games. So for, for Friedman Frieza to have to bring it back himself and say, hey, why don't people do this? It's a really good system. It, it so is. It's such a good system. It's just really hard to balance, and they don't want to do it. I think that's right. 
I think that's right. I think because you, you, because the design of the system is such that, roughly speaking, you have card number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and card eight should be better than card seven, which should be right. better than card six in a very minor way. So yeah, yeah that's that's a good point. That's a good point. But uh, Fam, listen, you might be hearing a review of Fam very soon, so I won't talk about it too much more. I'll, I'll leave it to that. But uh, I have to say. Being a being an old school Euro gamer, this is a clean, simple, yep. elegant, old yep. school old school Euro that doesn't even pretend it's not. It is an ugly game the way an old school Euro <laughs> was <laughs> ugly. It is not particularly pretty or you know, it's not it's not People don't come walk by the table and see Fayem and be like, Ooh, what are you playing here? No, you but do not But they do with the googly eyes. <laughs> Exactly. They do with the googly eyes. Uh, And that's what's on my brain right now. Let's get to our review. Uh, Jennifer loves 18xx. It's the only game she wins. Uh, I lose most of them. Well, you you do well. But I I guess it would have my highest winning percentage. I guess that is true. I I will accept that. Like I said, it it fits your play style very, very well. What we're going to be reviewing today is 1840 Vienna Tramways. It came out in uh, 2020, which means it's coming out now uh, (laughs) because of what 2020 Um, was. Oh, yeah. It's available through the Kickstarter for Lonnie's other game, which I can't pronounce. (laughs) Yes, I, I know the game you're talking about. Uh, so uh, Leonard Orgler, Lonnie Orgler, is the designer. Uh, the artist is Andreas uh, Timmelmayer, and it's published by his own Lonnie Games. Uh, yep. it, is, it, it plays from two to six players. It takes, you know, three to four hours to play and uh, currently has a weight of 3.33. I think that's a bunch of nonsense. Uh <laughs> But let's, then go and rate it yourself. I guess I have to. You know what? I don't wait. I don't wait my collection. I rate my collection, but I don't wait my collection. That is yeah. that's probably on me. I am part of the problem. Right. Uh, Jennifer, tell us about Vienna Tramways. What is this game? Yeah. Okay, so it's a game that features trams instead of trains, which allows Lonnie. Lonnie is he designed Russian railroads. Lonnie is, I think, at his core, a Euro gamer that likes to take, you know, outside concepts and add them, add Euro elements to them, as 1840 has a lot of Euro in it. Um, Okay, so it's a game that features trams instead of trains, which means that the trams in the game go on forever. There isn't a two train and then a four train or whatever. Trains go on forever, in, but they in, can only collect revenue where they have a station, just like trams work now, right? I mean, if they don't stop in a place, they don't get any money, right? Right. Uh, a major difference from other 18XXs is that you must buy a company in the opening stock round, and you can only own one company. And, you know, this is a big change for 18XX because most times people like to own multiple companies and switch their trains all over the companies. And, you know, yeah. it's a lot of fun. Once you, own, but, once you own two companies, all sorts of shenanigans start to happen, right? Right, to- right, right. Exactly. Um, 
Okay, so you can only own one company, and you can't sell the directorship of that company and dip it on anyone. And last but not least, in this area, uh, directorship is 50% of the company. So there you go. What is Lonnie doing? He's putting you through a roadblock, and you go, but Jennifer, I thought you didn't like that. (laughs) Hey. And let's also say almost every single 18xx game I can think of ends when the bank busts, when we run out of money. Not here. Tom, Tom, let me finish. Oh, by all means. (laughs) Okay. Each company can own up to three lines, but those can't be transferred in any way to any other player. Okay, so you can mix and match with your three lines and your trams. You can put them here and there, you know, just like you kind of could in a regular 18XX, but no dumping, as I had mentioned before. Okay, there are also government-run trams, and they use special track that the lines that the player's company own laid down. And the reason to do this is that players can own 10% in the government-run trams, and the government-run trams have their own abstracted trams, and they always pay out as long as they have a route. So, you know, it's a nice investment. They all go up. Then, the game is played in a strict set of rounds. Um, so, you know, like in 18XX, you have a stock round, and then you have a number of operating rounds. Well, in this game, there is a third type of round called a company round. Okay? So, during your, you know, so-called operating round, instead of deciding how the dividends will be, how the revenue will be paid, You just put it all in a big revenue pile. So let's say you have three lines and you've run three lines. All of those lines revenue goes into one big stack of money. And then during the company round, which is also when you can buy – you can buy more recent trams, you decide how that revenue is going to be divvied up. And no, it's not, well, it all pays out, or I take it all in, or even half and half. You can take 10% of the revenue and make it dividends and have 90% of the rest of it come back to the company, or you can do that vice versa, or 60, 40, 30, 70, whatever you like, whatever you like. And this is what makes it really attractive and why I wish, and, I, and Tom said this during our, our playtime, why aren't all 18XXs like this? You know? <laughs> yeah, well, I said, why aren't, there more, there, why aren't there more hybrids like this? Because it really is a game that takes a certain amount of Euro design concepts and imports it into an 18XX shell. And listen, you and I, we're about to have a discussion about how successful it is in that regard. I mean, how much, how much do we like the balance that, that uh, Lonnie has done? Because it is. It's, it's, a, it's a balancing act, right? Every, right? every aspect of the 18xx system that you take out and put and replace with a euro system, there's always a check and balance. There's always a cost to that right. choice. 
right? Well, For- I don't know. Though. Okay, so in the, like you said, look, sure. I just have a little more. By all means. So, uh, um, you know, the game is over at a set time. Okay, a certain number of rounds run, and that's it. There's no, well, you know, there's a $12,000 bank, and when the money runs out of the bank, the game is over. That's not how it works. And again, that's very much of a Euro mechanic, Mm -hmm. more than an 18xx mechanic. So what did you think of the game, Tom? Well, okay, so so 18xx games in general – fall into two main categories, right? They're either operational games in which the majority of your decision-making and the difficulty of the game is figuring out how to run your choo-choos well, right? And build good track and make good connections and all that sort of stuff. And then there are the games that are the stock-heavy games. And those are games about buying companies and then having other people invest in them and then right when people start to really think this thing is going well sell all your trains to your other company and sell all your shares and leave somebody else holding the bag of a horrible company a company that's suddenly been ransacked and left for dead and so on and so forth so the stock manipulation variety of of 18xx games are also really cool and really interesting this is definitely an operational game this Absolutely. is, a, a matter of fact, the most operational game that we've seen yet in the 18x system, because it is because it is euroized. It is you can only own one company. It is your company. You can never own less than fifty percent of it, so no one can take it over. You can never own more than sixty percent of it, which is interesting. Right. Um, which really simplifies the stock portion of the game to a great extent. To a huge extent, maybe too much, because I definitely did not feel like the, uh, I could use my money to bet on winning horses enough in this game, which was interesting. Right. Uh, I think that, um, well, I mean, we. oh, the other thing that we didn't talk about is the rusting, right, of the yes. trains. Very interesting. You want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so as Jennifer said, every game, every uh, tram in this game is a diesel, and by that, what we mean is uh, they're never they can go as far as they need to go. They don't have a distance limitation because we're just in Vienna, right? It's a small map, really, when you get right down to it. Um, but it's also that uh, trains become obsolete over time in 18xx games. It's the, a, a mechanic called rusting. And so when the level five or six trains come out, level one and two trains suddenly are worthless. You can use them one last time. And then sometimes, uh, sometimes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, I would say more often than not, the, there's a rule allowing you, giving you the grace of one last run, and then they're gone. But some of them are, have a really harsh rule where. 30 and 22. Correct, where they're immediately gone and forget about it. Um, And that's what rusting is. Uh, This game does it in a very different way. There is no rusting. You can run any train for however long you want. The problem is, is that when the red trains come out, so so I think it's the yellow trains are the first ones, then the orange, then the red, Mm -hmm. then the purple. Uh, no, no the, the, or it's orange, red, pink, purple. Pink, purple, correct. There you go. Um, when you buy, when you get, and by the way, these trains always invariably are going to be coming, become cheaper to buy. So in the first round, a red train would cost you 600 
in the second uh, t- time when you can buy trains, it's only going to cost you four or three hundred or something along those lines. When you buy a red train, all of your yellow trains suddenly lose fifty bucks on their run, no matter how much or how little money they make. When the pink trains come out, they lose two hundred bucks on their runs, and so on and so forth. So there is this situation where, yes, you can run the trains, but you quickly become put into situations where you are sometimes operating at a loss or as bad pretty much is you're taking your great runs that are supposed to make you all this money. Right. And half of that money is going right down the drain because people don't want to be on your old junky trains anymore. Well, the, the other thing that's interesting is that if you run it at a loss, the loss has to be made up through your personal money. Yes. Which so we, which that, we find that out. makes you think again, hmm, well, do I want to have to take a loan to run this train? <laughs> it is a very, very interesting situation. Yeah, and, and there are loans in this game where you can get 100 bucks, and it's going to be minus 200 bucks at the end of the game, which is an interesting, you know, kind of a more of a, a uh, Martin Wallace Euro kind of conceit. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you probably aren't going to lose any 18XX or this one by $200, right? Right. right. And so I suspect there is a loan strategy in this game somewhere. Right, but in moderation, right? Who knows? Who knows? (laughs) We don't know. Um, The map is tight. There are 17 train lines that are operating in a very, very tight space. So... The board is going to get very complex and very convoluted very quickly. Um, it, it, listen, I'm fascinated by 1840. I want to play 1840 a lot more. But me too. I don't, but but I have a but. I'm not sure that this is the game. I think this is a halfway point to what a true 18xx. Uh, Euro hybrid should be. And let me lay out a couple of reasons why. First of all, the first thing that happens in the game is a private auction. Right. Where we auction the private corporations. Now, private corporations are a very, very hard entry point into the 18xx experience for people that come from uh, not having played them. Because the first thing you do is you are bidding on these things that I don't know how to evaluate. I don't know how to value these things, and I'm being forced to bid on them kind of completely blindly. And the people that have played this before seem to know exactly how to value these things, and that could be a very frustrating experience. I would disagree for 40, but go right ahead. Sure, sure. Well, but here's the thing. Um, In some games, uh, 1846, for example, Right. The things that you're, the private companies that you're bidding on do radically different things. Yeah, but the other thing about, which is, you know, if I may Sure, say, please. Okay. Um, the other thing about 40, though, that's really interesting is that you can get a private and they're like, oh, okay, cool, right? Awesome. And then when the line comes along yep. to use that private, everybody's like, mm, well, better bid 100. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
You see? And so therefore, the usual, and I will agree with you 100%, you know, me coming into 46, heck yeah, the male contract's always going to be good, blah, blah, blah. Right. Right. Not that's not true here. And I would argue that's part of the euro part. Yeah, because the six the six privates in this game are almost exactly the same thing. They are when you sell them to a train company that uses that space where that private is located, you're going to get an extra 20 bucks on your run. That's pretty much all they are. The only difference between them is their location and a tiny bit of difference in terms of how much money they how much money they cost to start and how much money they pay off to you until you sell it to your to your company. Yeah, to, in to your company. fact, I would say it's one of the most euro parts of the game and that is because when you buy the private, you weren't promised anything. See, like in in 30, okay, well, I bought the Camden and Amboy, so I own that space. Correct. Right? Yes. You don't own that space in 40. In 40. No, you don't. No, but you do have... You do have a location that if you connect your tram lines through that location, you're going to be able to. Which we can stop you from doing. Potentially. Exactly. Because when it comes time to get those tram lines, we, we are bidding on those tram lines. And what what is a tram line that you're bidding on? It, it is essentially a starting location because all the tram lines functionally are the same. They each have right. six station markers that you can put down in the game. Which turns out to be quite the limitation because all over the place there are circles, there are stations that need those station tokens. And if you don't put yours down, it is such a tight map, somebody else is going to, and suddenly your line is cut off. So, and it, and you only get revenue from lines or you have a station marker, correct? And that's a big, big deal. Normally, See, in 18. 18- XX games, most of them, you know, let's say 30 and all of those types. When you get to a place, you can, as long as you can get there, that counts toward revenue. Not in 40. You have to have a station marker there to actually get the revenue. It also impacts the way that you lay track. Because you need to lay track in a way that works, right? You know, before you could put down all these little blank cities and that's fine i still get the revenue not here yes which is to say that um building good track is a tricky thing in this game an important thing in yeah. this game. but um in a lot of 18xx games the track choices are relatively limited there are Tracks. There are in some of the games. There are famous situations in which I wish that this track was in the game, and there is no such tile. It does doesn't exist, and it's maddening because you really want to be able to do something that the game doesn't let you do. Eighteen forty does not seem to be that way. It seems that that you can get almost any kind of track for almost any kind of situation that you need to. Wouldn't you say that? I think track limitations. Yeah, but also though, eighteen forty has the most track that is limiting like they have the purple track they have the red track and the red track is in the center of the board which in an an 18x gets game is normally where you make your money but the red track is all dead ends 
Right. How Which, can I make money off of dead ends? <laughs> Except that in a real situation, that's exactly what would happen, right? Your tram station would start in the middle of the city. Yes. And what and it does it, is it creates this situation where the center of the city suddenly is populated by all of these tracks and all of these trains. And there's so many trains trying to get into the center because those red spaces are worth a lot. At the end of the game, right. some, one of them is worth 90 bucks just getting to that hex. Yeah. And and what, now I, I will say this. I think um, for me, at least, as an experienced 18XX player, it's like, okay, well, am I going to get into this red area or am I not? Yeah. Right? And you and you did quite well by uh, eschewing that and just avoiding it completely. Now maybe that's not going to work with experienced players. We don't know. There's so much space in this game, I think, to explore, and I just wish that it was more readily available. But it's not at the moment. <laughs> no, not not quite yeah. not quite yet. Uh, let me talk about a couple more things that are sure, that please, are please. that are stops. I could talk about this until tomorrow. So oh, it, it's it's a. <laughs> I hope you can hear how fascinated we are, both of us, by this game. It is a really. It's a new player on the scene. It, it, it takes eighteen XX conventions and kind of turns them on their head. Um, yeah. The the way that you can choose how much your your train pays off and how much goes as a dividend to the stockholders in most eighteen XX games that is a very limited choice. You have right. a choice to pay half, full, none. That's pretty uh, oftentimes that's the only choice. Sometimes there's a little variation on that, but not much. In this, you can literally choose any point. You can choose yeah. if you choose zero, your stock drops. If you choose to issue just $10, like nothing, your stock stays the same. And if you issue $100, your stock moves ahead one space and then so on and so forth. So your ability to control payouts is so minute and so finite that you can do, you can really manage your company exactly the way you want to. And the game isn't telling you how to do that, uh, which yeah. is really cool. Yeah, but it also creates challenges. I could see after all of us, let's say, or we come into this game after 10 plays, man, that is going to be an AP game. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. It is. It's it's a thinker for sure. For sure. Um, the game ending after the, you know, 11th uh, uh, operating round or whatever, whichever well, round it yeah. is. The twelfth operating round. Another really interesting thing. It's no longer about breaking the bank. It's no longer about manipulating this and the other thing. It's really, it's really quite cool. Um, another thing that I don't like about it is the turn order Michigas. There is guys, folks. I'm sorry, folks. He's <laughs> just overdoing that. It's no. Not it is. Yes, it is not. There are three My different goodness. ways that turn order is determined. We have these turn order cards in front of us. And the turn Did order get past kindergarten, yes. The okay. turn order card <laughs> that you have in front of you is the least frequent use of turn order in the game. It is weird. It is weird. It is wacky. It doesn't belong in a game that's trying to bridge it's the gap fine. between No, you simplify it. Uh interesting thing. The order in which trains operate in this game is another thing we haven't even talked about, which is fascinating. Oh, but that 
Now, don't change that, Tom. I'm not going to change that. I love that. Oh, oh, good. Okay. I love that. Normally, in 18xx, the train that is the, the, the company that is the highest valued does their actions first, and then we proceed on down. So you look at the stock chart, and you go in that order. In our game, we that does not happen. What happens is is tram number one operates first. No matter who owns it, no matter how much their stock is valued, tram number one operates first. Then if tram number two is in the game, tram number two operates, and so on and so forth. What it creates is this really interesting situation where the trains that you own, the train lines that you own, are going to operate in a fixed order, and there are times when I, I owned trams 9 and 10, and what I found is, oh my god, this is amazing. I can use my tram 9's actions to make my tram 10 operate better right now, not next turn, right this second. Uh, right, right. It's very similar to owning two companies, except that 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 never changes. It doesn't matter what the value is. Yes. Right? Yes. Which, which yeah. is interesting. And it the gets... other thing is, hmm, well, Paul wants to come over here, but I have a train that moves before Paul, so I will just cut that avenue off for the moment. Yes. Which is, it's really interesting. What it does is it takes uh, some of the excitement and some of the interest of owning two companies in uh, of owning two tra- uh, two uh, corporations in your normal 18xx game the tricks you can do with that and it transfers them in a much simpler way into this game yes much 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 better again euro right yes yes now do i think that yeah so the, the, my complaint number 1 is why have privates at all it's not really that big a deal and if you want to create something that's more euro uh, 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 i would that would be the first thing i got rid of second thing is the turn order michigas is just nonsense it, it it's it's we spent so much time discussing he exactly spent which <laughs> so much time uh, no Ben, yes. no, Ben was asking that question. That Everybody was, his was asking first that question. Play. Give me a break. Sure. Uh, listen, first plays matter. First plays matter, Jennifer. Okay. It all depends on your commitment, Tom. <laughs> uh, but the third thing is, I don't know if the stock aspect of the game hasn't been neutered too much. Now that that I actually only valid criticism. <laughs> oh, oh, thank you. So I have a criticism that's valid. You you've said that one thing I've said on this podcast is valid. Thank you. Yeah. Very kind of you. <laughs> that's not true. But as far as his criticisms is, there the the stock has been neutered, right? Yes. But I would argue that that decision space has been moved over to the operational side, which I believe, in particularly after experience, will have way more decisions overall than many other 18XXs with a stock decision space. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. I, I, I think I think that might be true. I need to I listen, this is one of those games where uh, I've played it several times and I feel like I'm just starting to understand right. it. And and unfortunately, 18xx sometimes goes that way, right? Sometimes you, right. sometimes you play it, and you're like, "Oh, I totally get this." 
1840 is not that game. 1840 is is a game that it is different enough from anything that has come before it. It, it, it. The changes are significant, and the ripple effect of those changes is such that we're not really sure yet how how we will approach the game because every single time we've played the game so far – it has felt like we're still we're still exploring what we can do with this weird, but, new, weird new creature. That's like the, it's just like we were with Hallertau, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, I totally agree with that. It, it is a game that it, it it traffics in things that we think we understand, but because of the way that they're put together, it it, it feels like a very new beast, and we, we right. have to and. We aren't sure where it's going. I mean, for all we know, it could be there could be some kind of, like I said, a a lone exploit in this game. Now, I don't know because I'm always terrified of loans, just like I am in real life, right? Which is true. So. Well, next time, now that you've said that, next time we play this game with Paul, he is going to go. He's going to go heavy loan, and we'll see how that that pans out. Yeah, and see what happens because. The loans don't act as a separate loan. I'm telling you, I, I, I cannot remember a time when someone has lost a game, an 18xx game, over $200. No. So no, at the never. end, I mean, 200 sounds like a lot, but most times the scores are coming in in the thousands. Yes. So 200 is like, hmm, whatever. Right? Exactly. And so there could be a tactic there. Absolutely. That, yeah. You no, know, so I I'm very interested, but like I said, I'm always scared of loans. The yes, <laughs> and uh, uh, let's say that the purple trains, the the best trains in the game, uh, they give plus two hundred to every run that you right. run. That's they, huge. They are crazy powerful, and uh, in the the game that we played, I jumped to the purple train early. Uh, in order to get plus 200 for one of my trains and to make so many people have minus 200, minus right. 100. So it was right. a big, big minuses on their train. It really nuked that entire round, and it was very yeah, interesting to watch. At the same time, same time, there may be, again, a tactic where you keep those older trains. There might be. Do you understand? Uh, I don't know if there is, but there could be. There could be a situation where you say, well, you know what? This older tram works fine in this specific situation. And it probably would join up with the loan strategy. It might well. It might well. A very interesting game, Lonnie. Congratulations! You, you you created something something new in a space where we we thought we would see incremental changes, and we see a pretty vast change here. Eighteen forty Vienna tramways not easy to find at the moment, but uh, but you know check check Kickstarter and see if there's a way to to purchase things as an add on. Uh, this is this is a game that is worth looking at for sure. Yeah, Jennifer. Love it. Let us talk about hosting game events. You have hosted more game events than most people have ever been to. So <laughs> let's let's end. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and I obviously uh, host a host a weekly game and have for decades and decades. So uh, uh, so let's get into it. Take it away. Yeah. One of the differences is I think that Tom, you mostly host game nights, right? Co- correct. Exactly. Right, and that's a difference 
between game days. And I'm going to talk about the things about game days, and then you can talk about the things that matter for game nights. Are you talking about the uh, the, the, the yellow orb that uh, rises in the sky and lights, <laughs> and, and lights no, the day? No, the disco ball. Oh, okay. Right? Good. Okay. Got it. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> All right. So back in the day, you know, back, well, in the really early days, there were just so few people who knew about these games. And then there were like a group of us who knew about these games. And so, you know, um, me and I think it's okay to mention his name, Mark Johnson. Both of us worked at JPL. Both of us liked these games and knew about these games. And so Mark started SoCal Games Day at a bank. Right. So we all, no, it wasn't at a bank. It was at Petco, believe it or not. <laughs> so we're all playing these games at, at Petco and then it got bigger and bigger. And SoCal doesn't meet that often. So I decided I would create a game day as well at a bank. But this bank had a full meeting meeting room and it was free as long as you either lived or worked in La Cunada. And so one of the biggest things I think for a game day, particularly if you're advertising it to the public, you know, this is uh, maybe it's on Meetup or right. maybe you've got flyers at Strategic Hot. You need to have a variety of games because almost every time a new person will show up wanting to play a game and presenting them with 1830 is probably not the best move. Right. 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 Okay. No, 18, 1822, obviously a much superior right. yeah, game. Really. So, so hand that to them. Yes. Right. And they're good so, to go. You know, you need to have a ticket to ride, maybe a Carcassonne, maybe, you know, other gateway style games. Yes. The other thing is, I mean, um, I was lucky. I had my child person who had to do what I said to teach people, the new people, the games. Todd is a very good teacher. He is. He really is. Yeah, he actually taught a friend of mine Magic the Gathering at five years old. Wow. So, I know. So, he's been doing it for a long time. So, um, at that time, he was a teenager. And so, the new people would come in, and Todd would take them over, and they'd have their own table. You know, they weren't mixed in with some of the more experienced players so that we didn't have degenerate strategies, right? Right, right. So Tom would, I mean Tom, Todd would play with them. I thought that was really good. And like I said, you, you need a big collection, in my opinion, to do this properly. Um, the other thing is, because again, mine is a day, you need to have snacks. And they need to be, do not have like Cheetos for snacks, please. Because the, the residue gets everywhere. I mean, you know, that's that's a big no, no. Be sure to evaluate what you're offering or even like oranges that people eat and the juice gets over, all over their hands. This is not good. Yeah. So, Absolutely. you know, offer things like I usually offer grapes. 
you know, because those are nice and clean and you can eat them, you know, and it's not a problem, um, you know, and also offer some drinks. Although, you know, in this day, it's not as easy as it was back then. And, you know, back then, everybody drank either water or some sort of soda. Now everybody drinks all of these different drinks. So <laughs> <laughs> I just would tell them, you know, bring whatever it is that you want to drink and i always have like i said reasonably healthy you know maybe some some uh crackers cheese stuff like that i asked people to pay five dollars i did not require the five dollars but i asked them to now wait a minute other, uh yes you told me that white people pay 20 was that not true was that uh, only only the white supremacist ones? Okay, good, 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 good. Yeah, you, right. you, yeah, yeah. I don't know how you knew, but yeah, I paid twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> not a very white supremacist. I mean, not not. <laughs> we, we're, we're mostly we're mostly mob centered. That's our that's our situation. Uh, no, uh, it was it was it was five dollars to is. get in. It was five dollars to get in and. For for those five dollars, there were drinks, there were snacks, and you could play for twelve hours. It was right. a crazy yeah, good yeah. deal. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Now the other thing, though, and that would would always be in, uh, mentioned in any advertisement that I did, you know, a meetup or a flyer or whatever. You have to be polite and respectful, and I enforced that. There were a couple of people who were not polite and respective respectful they would backseat drive the table look trey's you know? apologized many times for that okay when are you gonna <laughs> let him off the hook i i don't understand why you got to be like that <laughs> trey is very you know we call it mansplaining but it's really <laughs> not only men's explaining to women it's men who feel like they have to tell everybody oh everything my God. this went to a very dark place very quickly <laughs> we're, gonna, <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna back away from this it's a bunch of nonsense no i i remember um playing a, a, a game and most of the time nicest people in the world but there were there were a couple people right. that you know that that just came from an older school of, of gaming right. and just just didn't have quite the social graces that the rest of us did Right. And that's the whole thing is, I mean, you know, for me growing up in the family, the big, my mom had eight sisters and brothers and polite and respectful was demanded. Right. Yes. And that is what I expect. And I did. I mean, there were a couple of people who just couldn't do it. And it's like, you are not going to wreck this meetup. By yourself. I'm not going to let you do that. I put too much into this. So how did you handle that situation? Well, offline, you always handle this offline. Yep. Never, ever get into an argument with someone while a game is going on. That is really bad. You just, you know, you try to contain the damage at that time, right? Right. You know, hey, let's just keep this moving or whatever you can say. But you talk to them offline and you say this specific behavior is a problem for people. People are complaining. They don't like it. So you always give them a chance to cor correct. Always. 
I mean, in my opinion. And of course, if they're not, you know, I mean, if they're totally crazy, they have to go. But I, I never had that. I had people who I had to talk with. And most people that I did have to talk with were like, okay, I didn't realize I was doing that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think in, in our hobby, the majority of people um, really do mean well. And listen, yeah, exactly. they choose as a hobby to play a game face to face with other people. You better figure it out fast, <laughs> or you're not going to be you're not going to be having this hobby for very long, right? <laughs> right, that's exactly right. And then there was one person who just blew me off and felt that they could come in and, um, well, you don't want to. How do we call it? They could come in and backseat drive. Yeah, uh, so- alpha, the alpha player um, right. phenomenon, right? Right, right. And, you know, they could tell everybody, oh, well, this person, you aren't playing that right. You should be doing this. Elder has gotten a lot better, though. He really <laughs> is doing a lot better now. And oh, he's just... Elder is the very last person in the podcast <laughs> that would ever do that. <laughs> so, you know, don't listen to this joisy boy. <laughs> okay, He has no clue what he's talking so about. So true. So true. Yeah. So, and of course, sometimes, you know, people's joking is joking to them and is not joking to someone else. Yep. So, yep. yeah. Now, what I didn't, what I tried and didn't work, you know, well, okay, why don't you just do it as a bring, everybody brings food? Well, what would happen is, you know, people would bring raspberry grape nut cookies without salt. Right. <laughs> And I'd have to throw all this food away. So that is why I went to the $5. I'll bring the food. And I'll make sure that there's enough choice in the food. Without you bring in. And in fact, one person is like, oh, well, you know, I had this open house. This person brought this and nobody liked it. So I'm bringing it. <laughs> but, if, but if nobody liked it, why are you bringing it here? <laughs> you see? That was a problem. It's like, don't you have a trash can? Yes? No? Okay. <laughs> okay. So, um, you know, um, I did eventually stop because the collection that I had to have for me to be comfortable was huge. I was at, what, 350 games. I mean, excuse me, folks, 350 is not a huge collection in this hobby. A friend of mine, I think, is at 6,200. But for me, 350 games was too much. And so when I um, when I moved or decided to move, I stopped the meetups, the big meetups, and went to what I do now, which is a small gathering. Like maybe there'll be, I'll invite two or three people and we'll have four people at the table. Now, for those gatherings... I do something that I I wish Tom would do, but he won't do. Um, (laughs) I have, I send out a list of my games and for the proper player count. And we discuss what we're going to play. I live folks, uh, as Tom says, he has to change currencies to to come up here. But from a, from a West LA point of view, I live far, far away. So, when people do come, which I'm always grateful for, I have the game already set up, ready to play. The, everything is done. All you got to do is choose a seat. 
Well, in order to do that, I need to know. Oh, and I, I can teach the game right there on the spot. Um, in order for me to do that, I have to know what we're going to play. <laughs> so, therefore, we message back and forth about, hey, you want to play this? You want to play that? You want to play these? You know, I don't, it's not one choice or anything like Dimitri tried to imply. <laughs> um, <laughs> you are always given a large choice of games. I just like to know ahead of time because then all of our time spent together can be on gaming and not like at game Tom's place at half an hour of milling around. Well, do you want this? No, I really don't like that. Yeah, I really like this. That game sucks. It's terrible. You know? <laughs> this has been Character Assassination with Jennifer Schluckberg. <laughs> Please join us next week. <laughs> Guys, Look. I will. Hey, no, wait a minute, though. I will say this: I have a great time at Tom's game nights. Okay, it's fabulous. It's fabulous, right? right? So, yeah, I just feel like there could be a little bit of, you know, adjustments. That's all. <laughs> well, okay, so uh, different situ different situations uh, require different things. So, um, <laughs> my game nights generally start around eight p.m. Some people, you know, some people can't really get here until then. I would love to be able to start at seven, but it's just not, it just doesn't work out for, for certain people. And, and I want to be respectful of that. Um, the people that come to my game nights are a mixed bag in, in the best sense of the word. We have the Game Brain crew, which are uh, seasoned veteran gamers for the most part. But I have a lot of people, I'm, I can't get away from being a game evangelist. I can't get away from being a person that doesn't have a decent number of people that are coming to game night that have never seen most of these games, that are still just learning the hobby and learning what it is. And there's always going to be a certain subset, you know, 10%, 20% of the people coming on a game night are just beginning to explore the hobby. So to have a game chosen by people, they have no idea what they're what they're doing. So uh, I don't mind having the discussion. Hey, listen, is it is it uh, harder because we have to then set up the game and teach the game and so on and so forth? Yeah, it, it is. Um, what I've taken Tom, to like, I, I I am going to interrupt. Sure, you should do it your way. I, I'm I just will. I'm just giving you a hard time on the podcast. You don't have to justify it. No, no, just no. say, Jennifer, uh, well, this is how it is, period. Well, here's the other thing. The other thing is that our group tends to like to begin the game session with a game of Avalon. That's what we like to do. To I know you do, and that's why I don't come all the time. <laughs> well, yeah. It, it, listen, it's not it's not for everybody. But listen, I started with Pitch Car the other day. I I, I like to mix it up a little bit and have my uh, ha have my heavy game, but have an appetizer first, right? I, I like I like a two to three course meal where right. you sure. want you want to sit down and immediately dig into the steak, right? It, it's just a, a, a difference in. You know. Well, it's a it's really a matter of I want you know to be honest with you. If someone said they wanted to start with a filler, I'm I'm totally fine with that. The only thing is I want it to be set up so we can sit down and play whatever it is. Right, right, and that's an efficiency. I I totally get that. Um, yeah, for, for my game night, uh, the invite that goes out is um is. 
a set group. It is a curated group of people that are invited. I will get asked fairly frequently, can such and such a person come to the game night? And I, my default is, and this may sound mean, but it is, it is that my default is no. My default is right. Mine too. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Listen, I have a limited amount of free time. Game night is a special thing to me. And, right, me too. And yeah. I and it is it is almost sacred uh, to use that word to me. Uh, and I want to be playing with friends, with people that that I uh, that I like, that I care about. I want to be right. You know, not just playing a game with a person. I want to be hearing about their lives and what's going on with their lives, and you know, and and spending quality time with them. There's a, you know, loneliness is a problem in the United States of America. Um, right. Even more from for for men than women, uh, women tend right. to have uh, better social connections uh, than men do. Men tend to uh, isolate and not notice that it's a problem. Uh, so having a time to get together face to face and actually share lives is a hugely important thing and a hugely important right. thing to me. So right. yeah, so I, I listen. We, we, new people come to my game night fairly frequently. Uh, but I definitely do try to to vet people and and, and try to get the, the the people that I think are going to fit in uh, well right. into into the group. I think that's a, a kind of an important thing. Um, people bring snacks and and drinks to to my game night. They 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 do this themselves. Um, right. And all just, I all a game I, night is different than when you're running a twelve hour hundred percent. That's yeah. exactly what I was about to say. We can do that because it's a very it's a limited time. It's four to six hours. Um, yeah. Now, what I do have to sometimes step in and say is, I happen to notice that, hey, so and so and so and so and so and so are always eating the snacks. I don't see them bringing the snacks, right? right. So, yeah. And, and, right. And once again, you just pull them aside at some point or send them a little email later and say, hey, you know, is everything? First of all, is everything okay? They could be out of work. There could be all sorts of things. In which case, just come. I don't care. No problem. Nobody's nobody's saying anything. I just want to head things off before somebody says something about right. how a person how a person never never brings anything. If you're going through a, a, a tough period, by all means, don't bring anything right. except yourself. That's great. Just be aware of what you're doing. Precisely right. Precisely right. And listen. And occasionally, you know, tempers flare. Things happen. And, you know, we have to deal with that. We have to deal with that after game night, you know, one-on-one. So we don't, you know, we don't want shaming. We don't want uh, embarrassment. We don't want any of that. We just want to say, hey, look, this is a, this is a special time for us. What happened? Let's, let's deconstruct it and see what went on. And or see or if, de-escalate it, right? Correct, exactly. Yeah. And then see, see what we can do after that. Really, that doesn't happen very often. But it does occasionally no. happen. When it does, you've got to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And listen, I, I'm lucky that we play in my office. My office is a very large, very spacious place. I Beautiful. Have a, it's perfect, y'all. Thank you. Perfect. I got, you know, big, comfy chairs that everybody sits in with armrests and headrests and swivels yeah. and all that sort of stuff. The The conference table can fit two games of Lisboa on at the same time. Right, it's right. very wide, very long. And then I have another poker table that can be broken out and, and flipped up and you can play two more. We could have four full size games being played in a single night. We have the chairs and everything else for that. And my whole game collection, you walk into a room and the room is nothing but shelves 
of games and they're arranged by maximum player number. So you can yeah, figure out yeah. how many players now, see, you got. I don't, I don't do that. My games are a sloppy mess. Right. Well, listen, if you are already sending out emails and telling people, Hey, this is the game we're playing. Then you set it up. Then you don't have I to don't do that. Do that. Dang nation. Well, that's fine. But you No, What I do is here's a list of games that plays well at this player count. Correct. And it's like 30 games. But before people arrive, the group has decided what to play. Right, right. Don't, yeah, I just don't want the implication that I'm dictating what. No, the no, game no, is. no. I, I didn't mean that at all. What I meant okay. is what I meant okay. is that you don't need to have your games in in such an organized but, manner because the group has decided what game you're going to play before they get there. Whereas for me, the first thing people do is they walk into the room and it's like shopping. They're like they're they're right. looking over the shelves and they're seeing like oh we haven't played that in a while. And listen, I know it wastes time from one perspective, but from another perspective, I feel like better, like we get more different games to the table. We get more interesting choices coming out of that experience of four four people standing there. The other problem for me, I'm normally asleep at 930. They start at 8 o'clock. Yeah. So the half an hour of milling around is just, for me, this is personal, Yeah. more lost sleep time. <laughs> yeah. It's tough. And I understand. So I notice it. Yeah. I notice it because I'm, you know, I'm just thinking that way. But if you're a night owl, he's perfect. Perfect. Yeah, I, I mean, I get up at I get up at six a.m. and go to the and, and go walk on the beach most mornings. So it is weird that I have this late night game thing that that goes on once a week. But I don't know. It, it just it's, it's well, if it works for you, do it, man. Yeah, I guess it. I guess it kind of does. Um, other other things uh, that I want to say about my organization of game night or, or things that I like in terms of an organization of game night. I do like mixing it up. I do like mixing the sweet and the savory, to use that uh, that meal metaphor again. So I like to occasionally bring out a party game or something something lighter right, and more interesting. Right. And, and see, I'm not I'm not like that. Which yeah. Um, I I you know again like I was saying, Hadrian is it Hadrian's Wall? Hadrian's Wall or a hey. few little games outside of my heavy Euro. Yeah. No thing, but I'm a heavy Euro player mostly. Well, and, and as am I, but with the with the caveat that I that I like other experiences as well. Listen, listen. The main meal of our game night is always a fairly heavy Euro, right? It, is it? I don't stay for the second game. Um. Well, yeah, but but the like, what's the last two games you played here? Um, I didn't play in your, I didn't come to your yeah, first. Yeah, that's true, the that's second, true. Yeah. The second one, it felt like you guys wanted to do Avalon and I was in the way, so I left. And I didn't go last night. Well, so, so you know, we we switched it um, to say we will play Avalon at the end of the night. So we did. Oh, is that permanent? Uh, it may be, yeah. When you're, when you're here, it may be. We, listen, we want we we want you to when you are able to come to our game night, we want to accommodate you so we may play Avalon uh, at the end of the evening. So okay, that's fine. Okay, that's fine. I I'm good with that. I, I listen. Um, there are certain certain people. Paul has been needing Avalon. 
his his year of his year of Avalon free uh, uh, living has damaged him. <laughs> right. So well, you know, and again, um, you know, no one person is more important. At the same time, I do come the farthest, so yes. I can accept that you might make an accommodation for me. Yes, exactly. And listen, and and you can't make it every single week. So some weeks, no, we play, we 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 play, we play Avalon first, or we play Avalon later, or we don't play Avalon at all. It's not it's not something that we have to do. It's something that we like to do, but isn't isn't mandatory. And I personally, I don't particularly care whether or not it's an appetizer or a dessert. But I okay, I do like right. playing things at at, uh, at different times. Uh, listen, yeah. this, is, this is all part of the negotiations of life. And whenever you're doing an activity together as a group, you know, you're always trying to balance that. You're always trying to balance the, 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 the needs of uh, everybody involved. Um, right. And, and I, I like that. I don't mind... I don't mind the messiness of it. I think that that's, that's being human and that's reading people and, and seeing what their needs are and seeing if you can't accommodate as many of these needs as possible. I, I just think that's being a human being. Well, you know, folks, Tom does this extremely well. This isn't what he's doing, though, isn't for everyone. And if you're not comfortable navigating this kind of thing, then you might want to look at a, maybe a little bit of a different format or fewer people at first. Okay, yeah. because if you if if your first game now the game day is like twenty people, it could be a challenge. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, I do like to have a uh, RSVP policy where I know before game night how many people are coming so I right. can have, like, you know, sort of what you were talking about. I, ha- I will have some suggestions like, hey, it looks like we have nine people. It looks like we're going to do a four-player and a five-player game. Right, 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 exactly. You know, and have an exactly. idea of that. And here are, some, here are some, you know, I'll even pull out. You'll still go back into the room and look at the shelves, but I'll have some certain games pulled out on the shelf just to sort of say, hey, consider this. This is an interesting thing that we... Right, that I mean, through. that's kind of the reason in my game days when I was allowing, you know, newer people, yeah. I always had a shelf of, hey, these are really good starter games. They yeah. don't last too long. They don't take, you know, a tremendous... Um, amount of trying to figure out they aren't real mathy as you know euro games can be in the 18x especially can be very mathy jennifer when i began in this hobby i came to one of your game days and that brought me into this hobby i am what i do i do because you hosted game days when well, Maddie, when Maddie came into the hobby, he came in via my game nights. Right. This it, it's it's a it's a beautiful thing that you have started. You, you're like an acorn that has that has grown into this beautiful right. tree that but all of us have grown time, out. Of. Tom and I work at these things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would labor love for sure, but yeah. Yeah, and so if you're gonna do it yourself. You know, just try work on being as aware as possible of these various issues and try to, at first, maybe you have a four player and then maybe you have an eight player and then, you know, it gets bigger or however you'd like to do it. But I would strongly advise to start small and get bigger. Tom! 
is a very special person. See, Tom can start with 50 people and he's like, <laughs> I'm totally good. But most of us are not able to do that without, you know, m- mega stress. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Listen, I, I think that uh, hosting game nights, uh, if, if you're hosting anything more than the same four people that come every week or, or something like that, if you're hosting something that's a little bit more involved than that, you have to be you have to wear certain hats, right? You have to be one part cruise director, one part yep. one part therapist, uh, one part uh, one part army general, right? To making sure things are you know moving along and doing what they need to do, you know, and hopefully that leaves enough parts of you to just be a friend and a game player, right? Because right. that's really what it comes down to is um is put is getting things to such a place where things can go smoothly and you can enjoy yourself because right right. I mean, you've, you've found that sometimes where you had a game day where you didn't have a whole lot of fun. A lot of other people did, but you didn't. You've told me that. Right. Yeah, because you're putting out fires. Yes. And this is why, because people aren't being polite and respectful. Exactly. So that's the other side of this. If you're going to go to a game day, you know, be your best self or the best self you can be. You know, of course, you bathe and brush your teeth. Yes. And you come in with a smile on your face, right? 100%. 100%. Yeah. Come uh, yeah, be be the kind of player that you want to see sitting across the table from yourself. Right, I, exactly. 100%. Jennifer, this is a great topic. I, I'm glad we talked about this. Uh, it was uh, interesting. I, I never thought about this as as a topic, but I think it is it is worth talking about. Um, I do too, because as we come out of this pandemic, right? Yep. Then there's, there could be way more people waiting for us out there, Tom. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's possibly a much larger population out there right now that are receptive to the idea of board gaming in person than have ever been. Right. right. Because we've been so isolated. People are thirsting for that kind of human contact. Right. Go out and make disciples of the world. <laughs> exactly, huh? A little bit, a little bit. Uh, Jennifer, I think we have time for a game sommelier. I got an interesting game sommelier here. I want to get your input on that. Uh, let's let's do one game. Tom. Yes. What? <laughs> I am a narrow gamer. Fine. You are a wide Gamer, sure. As you just said, sure. And so now, if you want to know how to play something that's heavy and with a lot of you know space and stuff, I'm good. <laughs> All right, let's do one game, sommelier. Sometimes a player just got to know which game should stay, which game should go, which to play with mama, madame, abu. You got to tell me, monsieur, just what to do. Want to make an impression, but I can't get far. As my 50th player of Agricola, a million games. Show me the way to the master, the game sommelier. All right. We got a Discord person named Human Priest. I wonder if that person is a real priest. It's possible. Uh, interesting question. Dear sommelier, I am looking for a good two-player game. The thinkier, the heavier, the better. But... That takes up a minimum of table space. I'm talking about the size of a big breakfast in bed platter. 
for the entire game space. So I, I would think like half of the size of one of those completely square card tables is really what he's talking about. Ah, okay. What you got? What are the well, games? Well, I have Hive. Yes. Good. Anywhere, right? You can take that anywhere, and it's a very thinky game, right? Right. And, you know, Lost Cities isn't particularly heavy, but you could do it there. Lost Cities is a, I mean, we're talking about the card version of the game, right? Right, of course. You can yes. play that anywhere. It is such an engaging game. Yes. It really is. I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't call it heavy, but it is still very thinky. Yep, yep, yep. Totally, totally, totally. Um, I think Watergate probably fits in that in that uh, area of space, and Watergate is quite the. It's kind of like a mini Twilight struggle that is quite a two person battle. I would definitely consider that. Um, I don't like Seven Wonders Duel, but it does fit your space requirement. Um, I'll also say I think. Azul, I think you can probably... Would you say, Jennifer, that you could fit Azul in that kind of space? Yeah, it's going to be a little tough, though. It's too bad they didn't make a portable version of Azul. It's perfect for that. Yeah, yeah. I think you might be able to fit that in, in there, but I'm not 100% positive. Um Card games sometimes are really good games that you can play in that space. I think Race for the Galaxy can fit in that sort of space. Uh, Dominion, maybe? Not sure. I don't think Dominion because there are so many, so many different action cards, right? And they're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what. But I think Race for the Galaxy probably does. The crew, yeah. the crew, you could definitely play in that kind of space. And maybe Pax Pamir actually. Whoa! I don't think so. Well, if you think about it, it's one row of cards that are the cards that you're purchasing, and then one player has a, has their row of cards, and you have your row of cards, and that's the entirety of the game. I think it's really just three rows of cards, so it might be doable. I'm not positive about that. Okay. But I don't know. I don't know. And then, um, listen, if you hate the person you're playing with, play Race Arcana. Race Arcana definitely plays in, <laughs> in that size space. Maddie thinks it's one of the best games ever made. I don't like it, but it's a really solid game. Two player is fine. Yes. And then let's go back to some of the classics, right? Ra and Modern Art, two great bidding games by Reiner Knizia. Both take up very, very little space and have a lot of tough decisions in them. Yeah, I don't like bra. <gasps> Do you know I prefer how many art. times I turned over cards and was destroyed? <laughs> it it is a cruel game in which you can lose due to uh, due to press barely even pressing your luck and getting destroyed for it in a in a ridiculous way. That is true. That, that happened true. to me a lot. Yeah, it, it can it can feel like a mean game, that's for sure. I prefer modern art. The modern game art hates is classic. Me. <laughs> you know? Uh, anyway, Human Priest, I hope that was helpful to you. Um, uh, Jennifer, it is always, always a pleasure getting together with you and talking games. I loved playing 1840 with you. I'm looking forward to playing a lot more of that. And uh, I think it was a really good discussion about, uh, certainly at least for the nostalgia of it, I... I took a little mind trip back to our early days of gaming up in right. La Cañada, having a great time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have oh, a... Thank you for having me. Oh. I'm always... I consider 
myself blessed to be on this podcast. You are the game pioneer. And ladies and gentlemen, if you are not checking out Jennifer's uh, YouTube videos, uh, her she is a prolific, prolific commentator on games right now. You have got to check out her material. It is absolutely fantastic. Uh, How is the best way to find your videos? Uh, it's Maydena, M-A-Y-V-E-E-N-A. That's the channel. Check it out. Check it out. You will absolutely love it. We have a YouTube channel of our own, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Game Brain Pop. I'm subbed. You what? I am subscribed to your channel. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate that. We also have a Facebook group, a Discord channel. Please get in those Game Sommelier questions. We love having a good Game Sommelier. And you have been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson, Tom Donnelly, and Trey Alsop. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. And thanks to Edomar Peleg for our incredible graphics. You can reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening and go play some games with friends or make some friends with games. Games.